Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. So let's get through this as fast as possible because we may lose power. (laughs) Both have storms coming through. It is that time of year. Yes. And in addition, um, apparently our grid system for our power is once again failing. So they're talking about doing rolling power outages this week like they did for the freeze, except just because it's hot. And I'm like, this is Texas. It's going to fucking be hot. Yeah. Yeah. So welcome to my hell. It hasn't started yet. Knock on all of the wood, but I may be in another fun situation. At least we'll have water and uh, probably not food shortages as much this time. Yeah, well, and, like, the thing of it being with the heat, too, like, you guys can at least drive somewhere out of state to, like, be yeah. with people. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm leaving for Maui next week, so I'll be like, peace, homies, y'all have fun. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah, pull. Yeah, good time to get out, right? <laughs> I'm gonna pull a Ted Cruz, but it won't be bad because it was an already a planned vacation and everybody can go anyway. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, you won't be cruising for a bruising. <laughs> no, I won't. It's already been planned. Um, so anyway. Yeah. So how are you? I'm all right. It's been rough. I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. My uh, body battery on my Garmin watch is at, um, let's take a little peek here. It's, I love this body battery thing because it really relates to how I feel. Mm-hmm. my body battery is at 40 right now huh. out of 100 I want one and I feel about I feel about a 40 huh so yeah hmm. I uh I'm doing I'm doing all right though I'm hanging in there I'm exhausted I you know worked all day today and then I had a surf rider meeting right after work and that lasted 20 minutes over the expected time and then I pretty much had an hour to get ready <laughs> for this and while I was uh getting sitting at the table on my laptop getting ready for this my roommate walked over and just put a beer out in front of me and I was like oh thank you (laughs) (laughs) I was like that's so nice so and I told him I was like you know I, I even opened the fridge and I looked in there and I was like no I shouldn't have a beer during the week I'm gonna like start doing better and he's like oh sorry I didn't know I was like well you also know it doesn't take much to twist my arm so yeah <laughs> I'm okay with this and so I had a um it's sailfish brewing company and it's their amber ale Ooh. so got one of those guys with me to keep me company I also so the reason why I'm so tired is because on Friday was our friend's birthday and we went to salsa dancing lessons with for his birthday mm-hmm. so I learned how to salsa dance on Friday night and that was fun but tiring and then Saturday I was a volunteer paddle support for the swim around Key West so I was on my paddle board monitoring a swimmer that was swimming around Key West okay and yeah and then Sunday we went fishing and that went four hours over than what we paid for and it's not a bad thing because that was cool but Mm -hmm. also like he didn't 
like ask or say anything about it. So we were just like kind of waiting around to like see what was going to happen. And uh, yeah, and we had no cell service. So fun time to get in contact with everyone that I was supposed to get in contact with that evening. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was, <laughs> I was like, you know, it's really cool that you extended our trip, but at the same time, like a little notice would have been nice. Too. Yeah. Like we got stuff so, to do people to see. Yeah. We got, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, my apologies on that one. That was a little bit out of my hands in that mm-hmm. sense. I used it as an excuse to go to and get in my neighbor's pool. So perfect I'm glad you used it for that so it's fine yeah yeah but the swimming around Key West that's a when I capsized I told mm-hmm. you I capsized every mm-hmm. weekend. that was that was that fun time that was a little traumatizing I kind of am still replaying that in my head I'm like god damn <laughs> came out of nowhere <laughs> it was impressive <laughs> yeah I've uh oh. I've done that before in a kayak and like I was texting you earlier, I was very young. I was like in high school and my dad took me out kayaking to see the dolphins and I just like ate it and then also drank a bunch of seawater and then I puked it up later. Um, so yeah. all, all the instructors thought I was fucking rad. Um <laughs> So because yeah. you puked it up, mm-hmm. they were like, "Oh man!" They were like, "Oh, well, she's still going. She's still trying." <laughs> oh, yeah, so, persistent Jillian. Yep, but yeah, I I tried paddleboarding once. Not my thing. I don't have the balance for it. Yeah. So I what had happened was we were coming around Fort Zach and it was aggressively wavy mm-hmm. like to the point where like these swells are like two to three foot probably and like they're coming in any which way direction so like two swells from like the opposite directions just like at the same time came over me mm-hmm. and I was I had a cooler on my board and I was sitting on the cooler when it happened so like the center of gravity was a little bit higher. I think I probably would have been okay if I was like kneeling or sitting. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I just got swallowed and then I flipped and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I just, I just fucking flipped over. <laughs> I was like, where's my swimmer? <laughs> I was like, I'm the swimmer. <laughs> it's awful. How do you... How do you oh get God. back up on those after? So that was the thing. Like my board was heavy enough that I couldn't flip it over on my own because I had the cooler still there on it, mm-hmm. like strapped down. And so my swimmer came over and flipped it back over with me. And thankfully, like I had a dry bag and everything. So I didn't lose anything and nothing got broken. Um, but I just I really just like hopped back on, like just pulled myself back up. No idea. It's fine. Like and the whole rest of the way. It was fine. Like the water was fine. It was literally just that little section was so bad and just ruined me mentally for the rest of the day. <laughs> I was oh, no. like, I know it was awful. I, one of my friends was boat support and I texted her. I was like, dude, I just fucking capsized. Like, what? The f- <laughs> like, what? <laughs> And then, like, a couple hours later, she checked in. She's like, how are you doing, sport? And I was like, oh, I've just been trying to keep myself from crying this whole time. I'm all right, though. Like, Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so embarrassed. Oh, yeah. gosh. I'm just so drained. I need, like, a day to sleep and lay in bed. All right. Because, like, two days in the sun like that, been intense. It's too much. It's too much. But anyway, yeah. how are you? Enough about me. How are you? Um... The dreading losing power while it's 90 degrees outside and like 5,000% humidity. But yeah, other than that, I'm good. (laughs) Everything's fine. (laughs) It's all fine. The Texas grid system is just collapsing. Literally like that cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. With What else is new? Yeah. With the dog in the fire. This is fine. This is fine. Uh That's Um, Texas for you right now. Yeah, so I'm drinking a um like a water raspberry acai acai. Is it acai or is it acai? Is acai acai 
Aha. It's a sparkling water brand. Oh. And I put fancy. it in a yeah. goblet because I'm feeling fancy tonight. But just doing yeah, that. Are. That's why put... I always thought it was regular water. No. <laughs> Putting a little pep in my step because we got to record tonight and it's a Monday. I know. And it's... <laughs> so... it's a Monday and it's already 8 p.m. over here. I know. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. So before we get into the main story today, um, I want to talk about this guy who got swallowed yes. by a fucking whale. <laughs> yes. Can you please tell me this? Because I saw articles on it and I was like, damn, that sucks. And that sounds pretty interesting. But I just, again, did not have the mental capacity to mm-hmm. read anything this weekend. Yeah. So I- I'm really glad that you're telling me this story. Yeah. I actually heard about it on... um the podcast morbid um they kind of talked about it at the beginning of their latest podcast as well and then i was like hold the phone this is a survival story let's talk about it so he's yeah. a lobster diver from provincetown which is at the very tippy tip of cape cod it's mostly populated by gay dudes and uh fishermen so it's a it's a happening place um so his name is uh, Michael Packard. Um, and so I didn't realize this because I just thought everybody fished for lobsters using traps because that's what makes yeah. sense in my little fishery head. But Or like um, a tickle stick. A tickle stick? Yeah. Oh. In the Florida Keys, when they have yeah. spiny lobster, they get a tickle stick to get them out of their little cave or whatever. Yeah. Well, I guess in... In Massachusetts, um, there's lobster divers and they'll like basically like they do in the Keys. Yeah, they'll literally just pick lobsters off of like the sandy bottom. So this guy is 56 years old. He's a lobster diver. Um, And so Friday morning, so was this Friday on the 11th, he went down and Um, This is what he says. All of a sudden, I felt this huge shove. And the next thing I knew, it was completely black. Um, (gasps) Oh, my God. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) So he thought he was inside a great white shark. um, But because he couldn't feel any teeth or hadn't like suffered any wounds, he was like, oh, fuck, I've been swallowed by a whale. And he, he said... I could sense I was moving and I could feel the whale squeezing with the muscles in its mouth. That's how he knew he was in a whale. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So he said, I thought to myself, there's no way I'm getting out of here. I'm done. I'm dead. All I could think of was my boys. They're 12 and 15 years old. And then all of a sudden he got after about 30 to 40 seconds of this, he basically just got spit out up on the surface of the water because. (gasps) Wow. That whale was like, you're not what I want to eat. You won't go down. Right. Cause humans are too big to fit down a whale's esophagus, except maybe like a blue whale or something. Yeah. So, and they think it was a juvenile humpback whale. So it's even smaller than like a full on adult. Um, But yeah, so he got spit out. And, um, he was pretty much completely fine. Like he, they thought at first, maybe he would have broken his legs or his arm or something, but he only had like very minor wounds. So. Yeah. Damn. That's so wild. Mm -hmm. Imagine like telling that story for the rest of your life. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So well, insane. And so get this. Um, Michael Packard also survived a plane crash. <laughs> so this isn't his only survival story. Dude. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> so he has got some luck. Yeah. So he was traveling in Costa Rica and they were flying through the jungle in like uh, or over the jungle in a small plane. And the the plane crashed, killing the pilot, the co-pilot, and a passenger, and Packard survived. And um, wow. with five remaining passengers, and they had to survive to 
days in the jungle before they got picked up by rescuers what so this guy Can is like him on the podcast right <laughs> <laughs> this guy's a real mvp i almost want to do a full episode what? on that you know <laughs> yeah like what mm-hmm. like i feel like i it almost seems like life is really trying to kill him and he's just like no not yet you can't get me yet like well and the the nice thing about being swallowed by a whale is ultimately like they can hurt you i guess but they're not going to try to actually eat you um yeah so there's some small comfort in that but um how how wild yes that is so wild yes he's got bit back up like bloop like mm-hmm. God. <laughs> so. i'm just trying to think of like what would happen if like i would have shit my pants for sure <laughs> inside the whale <laughs> inside the whale oh maybe that's why he's been on backup <laughs> yeah so this article was from um cape cod times uh, it's called i was completely inside lobster diver swallowed by humpback whale off provincetown and it's by Doug Fraser. So go check it out. It's a fascinating story. How do you story. think that they got that story though? Because like if you're him, like you get spit out and you're you're trying to get your bearings again. You're like, wow, what the fuck just happened? Mm-hmm. And you probably like what swim to shore or get back to your boat or wherever you're at. And then well, like what yeah. they just take himself to the hospital? Yeah. So he was with um another crewman. Um and he basically thought that Packard had died, gotten eaten, because all he saw was a bunch of bubbles and nothing coming to the surface. Oh. And then all of a sudden, a whale shows up and spits out his his friend, basically. And then imagine they... being the dude that was with him <laughs> and sees this all go down. Yeah. <laughs> and so then they. Oh no! Yes. And they took him to the hospital. So. He did go to the hospital, but basically okay. they were like, there it was minor injuries. So, so yeah. <laughs> Imagine being a doctor and the nurse, they'd be like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> this is just so unreal to me. I just keep thinking of like all the people involved and like how like mind blowing it probably was for all of them. Yes. It's nice, though, that this one has a happy ending in comparison to some of our other stories. So <laughs> I know. Um, I speaking know, I know. of, I guess. Yeah, like, you want to get into the story we're talking about today? Yeah. And uh, it's Haley's turn to do some talking. So <laughs> it is my turn. Bear with me. <laughs> um, so we're just going to go on and get into it. So. But yeah. bada boom. This uh story takes place in Thailand. So disclaimer, I'm probably gonna butcher some names. Um, but it is about the Thailand soccer team. And it's not the national team, it's like a little club team. Mm-hmm. So on June 23rd of 2018, so not that long ago, Ekapol Chan Tawong. We're just gonna go with that. <laughs> I've tried to say this 30 times in my head. I can't get it right. <laughs> They're hard. Yeah. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry if it's it's definitely butchering, but I'm sorry. Um, also, side note, his nickname is Ake. So I will that's, refer to him as that. From that's great. Nicknames are good. Yeah. I love nicknames. <laughs> so Ake took his youth soccer team, which is full of 11 to 16 year olds on a team bonding experience. Which isn't the most unusual thing, you know, taking teams on excursions to Mm -hmm. build team bonding. I think anyone that's grown up playing a sport knows what I'm talking about. However, this team bonding experience got a little out of hand. So what was supposed to be an hour excursion turned into a two-week rescue mission. So what had (laughs) happened was... (laughs) Oh, I'm excited for you to do the story. And I haven't um, read or because I have a book about this specific story waiting for me on my bookshelf. I'm like, I'm not going to read because I want I want to have like 
this re-surprise, I guess, because it's so interesting. And I feel like yeah. I know the story, but like, I feel like you're going to tell me th- some things that I've like forgotten or didn't realize about the story. Right. I got a lot of this knowledge from this BBC article, which was super detailed and very long. And I was even reading stuff that I was like, oh yeah, that did happen, didn't it? Mm-hmm. So hang on tight, kids. We're going to go on a ride. <laughs> um <laughs> So what had happened was a monsoon came through the through and flooded the cave in which the soccer team was exploring and trapped them in the Tom Wang cave. Wow, that's a mouth tongue twister. Tom Wang cave, which the full name translates to the great cave and water source of the sleeping lady mountain. And it has its dangers. People. Yeah, right. But, you know, it's got its dangers. Uh, people have gone missing in this cave before. And once monsoon season starts in July, the cave goes uh, pretty like dangerous. It's extremely dangerous. And the cave can flood up to about 16 feet during the raining season. And it should only be entered between November and April. So these kids were in there. June 23rd, so pretty much like just before monsoon season starts, which is in July. Yeah, it just goes back to our whole mantra of like, just don't go into caves, you guys. Just don't do it. It's a terrible idea. I was listening to our, yeah, I was listening to our episode this morning, like episode nine. And when I was like, hey, how about we just don't go into caves anymore? (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah let's just not do that anymore <laughs> we shouldn't do that I was like yeah that sounds about right <laughs> um but like okay so let's talk about monsoons for a second because I had to look this up to refresh my memory so a monsoon occurs when there's a difference in temperature between a landmass and an adjacent ocean and as a result a torrential downpour occurs similar to a hurricane or a typhoon but like what's the difference between a monsoon and a hurricane well monsoons are caused from seasonal changes and atmospheric circulation and precipitation associated with the asymmetric heating of land and sea whereas hurricanes are formed as rapidly rotating storm system with a low pressure center so more or less you can think of monsoons as like a rainy season and like hurricanes or like a storm if that makes sense yeah they're like a short-term kind of thing whereas monsoons are like like a month-long ordeal yes and so back to the story Mm -hmm. the adventure began in the tom wang cave and the only things that the team had brought with them also this team is called the wild boars fyi so the only things that the wild boars had brought with them were a rope flashlights and some batteries mind you they had no extra food or water Mm -hmm. this was most likely because they rode their bikes through the rice paddies after soccer practice to the cave so they didn't prepare accordingly because it appears it was a last minute decision i don't know if it was a last minute decision but i can only assume it was a last minute decision Maybe it was like just like a fun, like something they were doing for fun and just like didn't weren't thinking because I don't know. It seems like in in the dry season, from what I remember, like that cave was almost like a show cave. You know what I mean? Like people went in there all the time. Yeah. So we'll get to that because this this team did go in it all the time Mm -hmm. actually and there's a little fun fact further into the story about that okay but i mean like going going to do something after practice isn't the most abnormal thing you know Mm -hmm. like some kids go to 7-eleven to get a slurpee some kids just go into a cave it's whatever (laughs) they're used to (laughs) whatever floats your boat (laughs) um but anyways the kids got into the cave Well, they got to the cave entrance, excuse me. They got to the cave entrance and they ditched their bikes and bags and walked in. Um, Apparently, the team and their coach would typically explore this cave, sometimes going as far in as eight kilometers, which translates to about five miles for all you Imperial System folks. Jesus. Um, Yeah, they go five miles in this fucker. 
That's why I, when I was reading this, I was like, five miles after soccer practice? You gotta be kidding me. That's like, I'd be exhausted. Yeah. I like walk one mile with Marzi in the heat. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm, I'm not doing any more today. <laughs> Dude, Waylon walks like half a mile and turns himself around to go home. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> he's over it. Puppy. So uh, they would go so far into this cave because it was sort of a uh, initiation for the team members, like the new team members. Mm-hmm. So once they got in about five miles into the cave, they would write the names of the new team members on the walls of the cave. And I don't know, it seems kind of sketchy to me, like being a new kid on a team, not really knowing these people mm-hmm. and like walking into a cave and like going so far in. <laughs> I don't know. That just like makes me nervous. (laughs) I'd be a little concerned. Yeah. That's how murder happens. So these, (laughs) yeah, that's how murder happens. That is how murder happens. So these kiddos were in high spirits as they walked on with minimal equipment. After all, they only planned to be in there for a few hours, but just like the viral TikTok audio says, make the plan, execute the plan, expect the plan to go off the rails throw away the plan (laughs) all all fucks up um that night the families of these kids started to worry because they saw that they weren't home yet which makes total sense parents know their kids though right so they all knew that that's that cave is where they would go after practice pretty often so the parents went to the cave and they found the bikes and the bags at the entrance of the cave and naturally that sets off all of the alarms right Mm -hmm. yeah oh my goodness and so get this rain had been falling the past few days and it had to go somewhere and that somewhere was the cave so the cave started to fill up with water similar to the Mossdale Cavern tragedy. Oh my God. God. Yeah. It's like, we know what we're doing <laughs> when we pick the topics. What? <laughs> what? A schedule? Huh? Plan? <laughs> the plan hasn't gone off the rails yet? We nope. don't throw away the plan yet? <laughs> we'll get there, I'm sure. <laughs> um. <laughs> Anywho. So one account says that the boys got scared by a flash flood and scrambled, which resulted in them getting lost even deeper into the cave. But then another account says that they eventually found themselves on a rocky shelf about two miles from the entrance. So who, who knows what, what is what, Mm -hmm. um, fear had definitely settled in for them. I'm sure. Cause they're 11 to 16 year olds and that's very frightening. And the boys and their coach had lost all track of time, but they were determined to survive. The, they crowded together to keep warm and their coach, who was a former monk, was teaching them how to do meditation techniques that would help them stay calm and use as little air as possible. And he even told them to lie still so they could conserve their strength, which I think that's pretty neat. Yeah. Well, and the whole conserving air thing probably helps save their lives because if you have an, a limited air supply like they would have had in like that air bubble that they were, you know, trapped mm-hmm. on, like your CO2 is going to start shooting up and that can poison yes. you. <laughs> so especially when you have, yes. you know, what was it? 12 people, 14, 13. Yeah. 12 thir- it was like 12 or 13. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like mm-hmm. wicked smart. <laughs> Super smart. And I would just like to take this time because you um, reminded me of this because I saw another thing of this on Facebook today. So you were saying the whole small space, CO2 levels rising, poisoning yourself situation. Mm-hmm. So what has been happening frequently down here in the Florida Keys is that people are coming to visit from out of state. And they are snorkeling with the full face snorkel masks and people are dying. Oh my God. Because they're wearing the full face snorkel masks and their CO2 mm-hmm. levels are poisoning them and they are dying. Oh my God. And I have seen so many Facebook posts on like the keys local pages of like, you know, the sheriff's pages or any like local page, like 
oh, another person at this park like died today. I've heard it's like a full face mask situation, blah, blah, blah. So if anyone is listening, do not ever wear those full face snorkel masks and tell everyone you know to not wear those full face snorkel masks because it builds up your CO2 and you poison yourself and you die. <laughs> I have never trusted those, to be honest. <laughs> I've never used one. Yeah. So. Me neither. And like, to be fair, this is just what has been like circulating through the internet down here. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been proven that that's what's the cause of death. Right. But like, also just stay away from the full face face masks mm-hmm. why is that so hard for me to say full <laughs> face <snorkel masks. laughs> so hard for me to say like my brain is so tired anyways <clears throat> side note aside so yeah they uh their soccer coach was like teaching them meditation techniques that would help them <clears throat> conserve their air and i thought that was pretty sick mm-hmm. so um they didn't have a food source, right? But the cave produced clean drinking water as moisture dripped from the walls of the cave, which a bit of luck, huh? Yeah. Because you need water more than food. Yeah. For the most part. I just imagine they were all just licking the walls of the cave. Which oh my is God. Like, I shouldn't laugh, but in oh my, my little God. brain. Like that's a funny visual though. Like <laughs> my my visual went to like a horse with a salt lick yeah but it's on a cave (laughs) that's not funny i shouldn't say that karma's gonna get me for sure you're gonna be stuck in a cave and you're gonna have to lick a cave wall so i know like all of this is gonna come back to haunt me in a second life or whatever Mm -hmm. yeah anyways so they definitely had the right conditions to survive for at least a while But what was happening outside of the cave? Well, a full-blown rescue mission was happening. Authorities called in the Thai Navy SEALs, the National Police, and other rescue teams. Local volunteers were also trying to help. But exploring the cave was challenging, and most of the Navy SEALs had little cave diving experience. Yeah. And the weather was merciless. Heavy rainfall meant that the water level was still rising letting the chambers and cutting off rescuers from parts of the cave. Engineers desperately tried to pump water out of the cave, but struggled, at least at first. At first, no one really knew what to do, though. And they even tried drilling into the mountainside, desperate to find cracks into the cave system, which they could squeeze into. And they even used drones with thermal sensors to try to locate the kids. Which I don't know how you would do that under that much rock. Because I've yeah, seen like this, the schematics of the cave and it seems like it's really deep because it like goes into the mountain. So yeah, it is. It's a super, yeah, it's a super uh, intricate cave system. That's what this article was also detailing, but I didn't mm-hmm. detail it enough in here, but it, it was, was pretty intricate. I mean, you constantly um, ask me questions that I can't answer. So oh, fine. yeah. No, it's cool. <laughs> I'm like, the tell how the tables have turned. <laughs> um, but there, the article that I used for all of the text has a lot of good photos that I'll probably put up on social. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can also screen share with you or send them to you if you want to ch- take a look at it. Um, so... Rescuers also turned to the villagers for local knowledge. The Thai Navy SEALs found a boy, a wild boar member, who happened to have skipped the cave expedition that day. He recalled a po- oh, excuse me. <clears throat> he recalled a place in the complex they'd visited before called Pattaya Beach. Along with a rescue mission unfolding, there was also a vigil unfolding at the mouth of the cave. Everyone from neighbors, family members, classmates, you name it, they were all there, praying that these boys would just get out alive. The first international rescuers arrived on June specialists, the cave divers from the UK, Belgium, Australia, Scandinavia, and other countries joined them. And some had volunteered and some were called in by Thai authorities, which I did not know that part of the rescue mission. I thought it was just all Thai authorities that yeah. were helping with this. Yeah, this was like a huge international 
effort, which was like really cool. I remember for the time, because like you followed it and I followed it too when it was happening. So it's just so yeah. interesting. Um, but it, it goes back to like the other two cave stories that we've talked about, like when it comes to cave rescues, you have to bring in specialists. Otherwise it's not gonna, it's not gonna end too well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so over the next few days, they all like the international, uh, rescue specialists and the Thai divers, they would all fight a constant battle with the elements they had to swim against a strong current, and they were often forced back by rising floodwaters. On July 1st, just over a week after the boys went missing, the rescuers made some progress. They reached a large cavern that would later be dubbed Chamber 3, and this served as a key base for the divers. The very next day, two British divers made an incredible discovery. John Volanthan and Rick Stanton had been braving Tom Wang's narrow, murky passageways for several days, laying out guide ropes and searching for signs of life. The two men finally reached Pattaya Beach, but there was nothing. They continued onwards into the darkness. Then, a few hundred meters further, they found an air pocket. And John told the BBC that whenever there was an airspace that they would surface, shout, and then smell. It's a standard procedure for such rescue operations. And he said that they could smell the children before they saw or heard them. Which is so creepy. <laughs> also, like, no. Does that just mean that they smell bad? Is that why they could? Yeah. Smell I mean, them? think about it. Like they came from soccer practice. They're probably sweaty. Yeah. And then like how they go into the bathroom, they're probably pissing and Ooh. shitting themselves right there too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They stank. <laughs> it's just that's so funny. Like, we could smell the children before we could see them. <laughs> I know. It's like vomit. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, I just, yeah, it's gross. <clears throat> but soon, soon the light from John's flashlight illuminated uh one of the boys and he emerged from the darkness and he came down the ledge towards john rick started counting the boys while john asked how many of you 13 came the reply in english 13 brilliant was like john's response they couldn't believe what they were seeing they were yeah. like oh my god they're all alive yeah and i remember so all the boys have been found yeah, I remember seeing like the video footage of this and like how uh, this is nothing against the boys. I mean, they're they're in this awful, absolutely awful situation, but it's just so unnerving seeing this group of small, like skinny kids and T-shirts just like in the dark illuminated just like by a flashlight. And that's it. Yeah. And that's the first light that they've probably seen since their flashlights went out, probably. Right. Mm hmm. Like, yeah. And can't you not be like, as humans, can humans not be in darkness for longer than a certain period of time before they start going insane? After 48 hours, you start hallucinating. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I'm looking, I'm looking at pictures. (laughs) I'm doing what you do to me. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. Cause I can't screen share because my internet's so shitty right now. I'm going to just bust the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So all the boys had been found, 13 of them. And uh, so the divers spent some time with them, trying to boost their morale. And then they left lights with the boys and they promised that they would return with food. Um, Obviously, their parents were ecstatic to know that their children had survived so far. Um, They said that the boys looked thin, but otherwise were in relatively good shape. And their coach, was quickly joined by a military medic and a Navy SEAL who would stay with them for the rest of the ordeal. Which is like super... Well, the, boys, the boys and their coach, all of them yeah. together. It was like super brave like that they stayed yeah. with them the whole time because I, I don't know, it was just terrifying to me. <laughs> right? So after nine days in darkness, which we just said that like hallucinations start happening after 48 hours... I'm assuming that these flashlights were on for a little bit of that. I'm hoping that they were at least. Um, 
But after nine days of darkness, the wild boars once again saw the light. A light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Bad joke. <laughs> um, you know, but these kids, like, they really just wanted proper food. They wanted to get out. It was mm-hmm. so heartbreaking. And doctors' orders were that they had to be put on a special diet of medicated liquid food bef- and mineral water and added vitamins before they could get back to eating what they would want to eat. So... Meanwhile, the rescuers were trying to figure out how to extract 13 people, some of whom could not swim, from a winding, flooded, four-kilometer-long stretch of caves that even experienced divers would struggle with. Yeah. Time was not on their side because, get this, it's monsoon season. Mm-hmm. Heavy rains were expected in three days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds like Texas right now. <laughs> yeah, right. Ugh. Except they probably have a power grid that works. Oh, God, they probably have a power grid that's better than ours. So, <laughs> <laughs> so although time was not on their side, their spirits were high, and there's hope. All until a Navy SEAL rescuer had died. So if you followed the story, you know that there was one casualty in the story. So a former Navy SEAL diver, Saman Gunan, was one of many volunteers who had rushed to help in the rescue. And on July 6th, while on a routine run to deliver air tanks to the boys, he lost consciousness after running out of air for himself. His dive buddy pulled him out and tried to revive him, but he could not be saved. And so... He was only 38 years old when he died, trying to save the boys in the cave. Died a hero. Yeah. It's amazing that they only lost one person, considering how many, like, there are hundreds of people involved in this rescue. Like, and and that just- Those boys can't swim. Yeah. Yeah. And and the other thing is, like, that just shows you how dangerous- that cave diving is like it's the most dangerous sport in the world like it's the most dangerous recreational activity that you can do period and they had to get these kids sign me up for that right like i'm okay without that yeah um the death hit home the danger of the rescue mission definitely was noticed now and the risk faced boys was also another factor that everyone had uh seen at this point as well knowing that they can't swim and if a navy seal had died just doing a routine maintenance situation just was not looking good <clears throat> yeah there was another thing to worry about too despite efforts to replenish the air oxygen and all those levels in the chamber uh the oxygen levels had fallen to 15% which is lower than the usual 21% mm-hmm. So not only do the boys have to worry about like their own oxygen diving through, it's also limiting in the cave now. So time was running out. Rescuers had identified three possible options, training the boys to dive through flooded areas of the cave, a process so ripe with potential for disaster. It was widely considered the last resort. Yeah. Pumping water from the cave and waiting for water levels to recede naturally, but this could take up to four months. So again, time was running out. Four months is not ideal. Right. Or finding and drilling alternative passages into the cave. So the rescue team faced conditions so difficult that even simple tasks like setting up air and phone lines in the cave seemed impossible at first because of the labyrinth layout of the cave. Mm -hmm. But Finally, on July 6th, late at night, um, rescuers set up an oxygen supply. And in the end, the boys communicated with their parents the old-fashioned way, which was by writing letters. And on the article I was reading, they have screenshots of all the letters that the kids wrote their parents. And it's just so sad. And, uh, like, they listed the food that they wanted to eat. Like, they were, like, fried chicken, pork crackling. One even cracked a joke, like, teacher, please don't give us too much homework. And, like, (laughs) the coat. I would hope not. The the coat 
I know, right? Like, oh my gosh, imagine coming out from a cave and your teacher's like, uh, where's this assignment due? And you're yeah. like, yeah, I'm just stuck in a cave for two weeks. Chill out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And then the coach, um, the coach wrote a letter to the parents just saying that he was really sorry. And, you know, obviously you would think that he would get a tongue lashing of letters, but he actually received a lot of love back instead of hate, which was probably super helpful for him to get through this as well yeah I mean he ultimately did keep those kids alive like I don't know that they would have been alive or all of them would have been alive if he hadn't been there yeah yeah right exactly so now it's been two weeks since the boys have gone missing and out of the blue the Thai authorities announced that they're pulling the boys out just like in a snap decision And they made this decision quickly because the rain that had pelted the area recently stopped and it had given them a rare break. Mm -hmm. And so it was time to launch what would later be described as a quote unquote superhuman rescue effort, one that involved nearly 100 Thai and foreign divers. I had no idea that it was 100 people. I thought it was like a 30 rescue team. No, this reason. is like huge. And then Elon Musk tried to get involved and then ended up calling like the lead British diver a pedophile. Do you remember that happening? <laughs> I don't. I don't yeah, actually. That was the first sign. Oh it was one of the first signs that Elon Musk was a piece of shit. Yeah, basically he was trying to like send some kind of SpaceX remote diving vehicle to rescue the boys. But the divers were like, how is this going to work in like a really narrow cave system? Like it's not, you have to have human, you have to have humans do it. Like it's just not going to work. And then he just called the British uh, lead diver a pedophile because he wanted to get the kids out himself. And it's like, "Mm, I don't, I think you're making this about you. That's not really how that (laughs) works. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I was, it's just, I just saw something that reminded me. That's a bummer. Yeah. So yeah, he's uh he's a piece of shit. Um, SpaceX is cool, but yeah, Elon Musk, piece of shit. So yeah, solid. Fun fact. Yeah. So sorry, sorry. <laughs> no <laughs> side note. <laughs> That's funny. Um, the more you know. Yeah. Uh, where was I? Okay. Yeah. So there's a hundred Thai and foreign divers that rescue these kids, and the journey was split into two sections. So the first section was that from the boys' rocky ledge to the chamber, it was more difficult. And rescuers made their way for hours through pitch dark waters that were bone chilling cold, feeling their way with guide ropes. At times, they had to navigate sections so ridiculously narrow that they could only fit a body through it, just Mm -hmm. barely fit a body through it. Yeah. Which is like the spelunking squeezes, only like cave diving. Yeah. Which well, is, that's that just so that's another reason to keep them like not fed well. I know that sounds terrible, but like to make sure they'll fit through everything, you know? Yeah. Which is awful. So each, yeah. So each boy was given a full face air mask to ensure that they could breathe and clipped to a diver. Wow. <laughs> Funny how we just talked about that. I feel like in this specific case, it makes a lot of sense. It's needed. It makes more sense. Yeah. They clipped uh, a diver onto each boy so that they could be accompanied. Uh, A cylinder was strapped to the front of each child while a handle was attached to their backs. And they were held face down to ensure that water would run away from their faces. One of the British rescue divers uh strapped the equipment to like a quote-unquote shopping bag that allowed them to maneuver the boys around obstacles at the narrow sections rescuers had to unstrap their air tanks in order to squeeze through i do remember this part i do remember hearing this Mm -hmm. that they had to unstrap the air tanks to squeeze through some things because uh they were tight 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 yeah Um, it would have been terrifying for experienced divers let alone children who are not strong swimmers I cannot imagine what these kids are thinking as they're trying to get mm-hmm. out of this. Yeah. I dive, you dive, but I still get anxious before I dive because there's so many things. And like we're, tra- we're trained because there's things that can go wrong, you know? Yes. So. Um, so the Thai government says the boys and the coach were given anti-anxiety medication to relax. 
but several sources have told the BBC that they were in fact heavily sedated and only semi-conscious during the journey to ensure that they would not panic. That's a little impressive. I did mm-hmm. not ever hear any of that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like, that's I, crazy. <laughs> but also if they're heavily sedated, like are they even like breathing that well too? I they must have br- breathed well enough because <laughs> I know clearly clearly it worked. So yeah. I mean like <laughs> I, but I like, like still like damn. yeah I feel like I remember them saying that they practiced this on like school children in a swimming pool before they did it in yes. real life yeah they did yeah I do remember reading that as well yeah, yeah. so maybe yeah. that's why they do <laughs> the kids are still breathing I would hope <laughs> yeah, yeah shit so once they reached chamber three which is that chamber we talked about earlier that was like the divers like home base um, it was time for the second phase, and this took another few hours. Um, each boy was secured in a stretcher and carried by a team of at least five men. At one point, they had to place the stretcher on a raft and pull it across a chin-high pool of water. Rescuers had to winch the boys up a steep slope using a pulley system. In some rocky areas, they formed a human chain, passing the boys hand-to-hand while at others, they slid them on top of pipes pumping out water. There was another diver that this experience was extremely stressful for. <clears throat> he was stationed at a halfway point in the cave, and he was responsible for replacing air tanks and guiding rescue divers through. And he clearly remembers the nerves he felt when the first boy emerged from the darkness and was brought towards him. He told the BBC... Quote, I didn't know if it was a casualty or a kid, end quote. And uh, he also said that when he saw that the kid was breathing and alive, it felt very good. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Cannot imagine. I don't know how, like, rescuers are just, I would just be so traumatized for life. Like, I would probably do one rescue mission and be like, nope, I'm all right. I never need to do this again in my life. Yeah, but if you had an experience like this where it was so rewarding, then I feel like it would be opposite that like every rescue mission, you'd be like, okay, but we could have the best possible outcome, you know, like I feel like it would give you yeah, maybe more hope. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I could see that. Yeah. Well, one by one, the wild boars were brought out of the darkness of the cave. They were given oxygen before they were uh, lifted away to a nearby city. Rescuers took them out in three batches over as many days as they needed time between replenishing their air tanks. They were cutting it close, though. By the time that the last batch of boys came out and the coach was out, uh, water levels were starting to rise again as rapidly as 30 centimeters in an hour. Um, It was Tuesday, July 10th, the day that locals said the cave would become completely flooded that the water levels were starting to rise again. So it looks like the locals know their shit when it comes Mm -hmm. to this. Um, While the boys were out, there were still people left on the rocky ledge deep inside the cave. The Navy SEAL divers and the medic who had looked after the kids, um, as well as Richard Harris, a famed Australian cave diving expert and doctor. They emerged shortly after the last boy was taken out, and it was not a moment too soon as a pump suddenly stopped working. Some said it failed while others said it switched off. So floodwaters had rushed in, sending workers clearing up the site and fleeing as soon as possible. Can you imagine, though, like the kids had to like pick what order they were going to be taken out is like the, going back to the whole like drawing yeah. straws thing that we talked about in like the um Essex episode like how do you yeah pick who gets to I know the, yeah and is it riskier to and go it, out was first? it like yeah and like is it the kids choosing or is it the coach choosing or is it the rescuers just like taking a kid the first one they see and it's just like you're coming with me and that's <laughs> the look of the draw like yeah what's happening yeah, that looks crazy. Yeah, but they all got out safely and they're mm-hmm. all healthy and everyone's okay. The only casualty was the one Thai SEAL officer who mm-hmm. uh, died switching air tanks. Yeah, that's like mm-hmm. one of the most incredible rescue stories I've ever heard. And this is after like 
I mean, this is up there with Shackleton for me in like like the feasibility. I mean, this is like modern day. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know how they pulled that off. Like, even even with all the modern technology that we have, cave diving is so so dangerous. And they were five miles deep into the cave. It's not like they were near the surface either. Yeah, and they also didn't know how to swim. Right. (laughs) Right. There's that. it it's just it's so fascinating and like the the diagrams of them like pulling the kids out like I don't know why it gives me chills but it does um because maybe because I'm claustrophobic and it freaks me out (laughs) and they're showing like these like choke choke points or like squeezes where they're literally just shoving a kid up through the hole so they had to have been somewhat cognizant of what was going on in order to like swim or like pull themselves through the hole, like, like in the squeezes and saying, stuff. Cause their body can't be totally limp. Right. Cause I feel like that would be dangerous too. That'd be an easy way to get something stuck or somebody stuck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, just... totally. But yeah, that's the, um, that's the story of the Thailand soccer team that got stuck in a yeah. after practice. That was only 2018. That wasn't that long ago. I don't know why I thought it was longer because I was talking to my Mm. coworker about it today because she was like, what story are you guys recording tonight? And I was like, oh, the Thai soccer team rescued. She had never heard of it. I was like, what? (laughs) This was like, oh, yeah, like that was all over the news. Yeah. 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 And the videos, the videos of it, too, are just like so heartbreaking. Yeah. But also not because like they got out god you'd have so much ptsd though i just i can't even imagine oh my gosh i know i would be so scared of the dark even more than i am <laughs> also like yeah but like that coach when it was talking about um how he was teaching them meditation i just can't imagine like i'm sure like that was taking him a lot of patience to to like get all the kids to be like on board with like staying calm and meditating and breathing because I'm sure there's a couple kids that were like screaming and freaking out yeah I, I would have been one of those kids well meditation would probably have just put me to sleep which was would have probably been in everyone's best interest let's be honest <laughs> right? oh my goodness but yeah like I have uh, done summer camps before like um, in nature like I used to um, work for this conservancy near our house and we would do little summer camps with kids and we were never in any real danger but every once in a while somebody would stumble upon a yellow jacket nest and the kids would just go into complete chaotic panic so I don't know how anyone could get a bunch of kids in like an actual terrifying situation to calm down not that you know a swarm of yellow jackets isn't terrifying because it absolutely is and I hated it every time because I would terrifying. have yeah I would have to go in and like lift up the kids shirts and pull the yellow jackets out and get stung all over my hands <laughs> that's funny <laughs> so I'm just like amazed to be honest. Like these kids are amazing and the coach is amazing, like unbelievable. So, so yeah. Yeah. And I'm looking back at the, uh, there's a diagram on this article that illustrates how oxygen levels and the air affect the body. Mm -hmm. And so 12 to 16% of oxygen in the air affects the body as like breathing and heart rate increases. And then when it goes to 10 to 14%, um, it affects your judgment and your coordination and your breathing. And then yeah. at six to 10%, you get nausea, vomiting, possible loss of consciousness. And then anything less than 6%, you start having convulsions, your breathing stops and you go into cardiac arrest. Yeah. So it's not like they were really yeah. in an ideal situation. I mean, obviously they were starving because they didn't have any food, but yeah. like the, they were also hallucinating and- probably also going through like oxygen depletion as well yeah they're like on the verge of their judgment was starting to be affected yeah coordination and breathing because i think i said it was like at 12 percent oxygen was in the air at that point Mm -hmm. 
and 10% starts, you start losing judgment. Right. Jeez. This is also fascinating. Yeah, I know. I love this one. I'm really excited to read the book I have now. It's called, um, Oh, just kidding. It said levels in the chamber had fallen to 15%. My bad. Still, so I they mean, were still, yeah, their breathing and heart rate was increasing. What's yeah. the name of the book of that you're going to read? Yeah. Let me, let me see if I can find the author too. It is called rising water and it's by oh, Mark. No shit. Mark Aronson. Um, so I'll let y'all know how it is after I uh, come back from Hawaii because it's going to be my on-plane reading material. So I love it. Yeah. Yeah, let us know how it is. Yeah. Um, Speaking of books and sources and things, (laughs) my sources (laughs) for this Mm -hmm. is uh, from the BBC News, and the title of the article is The Full Story of Thailand's Extraordinary Cave Rescue. And I also looked up some stuff about uh, monsoons from askdifference.com backslash monsoon versus hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So that. Yeah. Well, good job for your first, like, I'll put full... up some photos. Yeah. Yeah. Good Thanks. job. I your... think I think I did pretty okay. Minus yeah. this fucking lag from our internet being I... a thing. But <laughs> Lovely, <laughs> that's something uh... that we can't control right now. <laughs> no. Hopefully I'll be able to edit around it. It's always something with us. So, you know, just keeping you on your toes. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm just gonna blame it on both of us having a storm issue right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're about to have a storm issue. Lord help us when it's hurricane, real hurricane season. <laughs> Dude, honestly, like I'm about to live in a cave because <laughs> at the first sign of like a tropical storm, we put up the storm shutters mm-hmm. on our house and uh, then we just keep them on for the whole hurricane season and it's pitch black in here and it's yeah, not fun. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. well um yeah so i guess to move on from all of that cave stuff and hurricane stuff um what are the good things that have happened to you this week or you're looking forward to um yeah i was like damn good things that happened i mean i went fishing yesterday first time in a long time caught some mm-hmm. fishes that was fun mm-hmm. um and but like next week i don't no i have like not a lot last week was pretty busy this week i kind of am chilling um good though too yeah i'm not trying to do anything this weekend i'm really just trying to like just keep it low-key for once in my life Mm -hmm. um yeah i'm i'm pretty good like i i think if anything i'm just excited to not have anything going on this weekend i have a friend in time excuse me i have a friend in town um and he's been my friend since college and he is up in Isla Mirada. So that's about like an hour north of me. Um, but I'm probably going to try to get dinner or something with him while he's in town on vacation. Um, but that's about it. Yeah. That's all I got. Super chill. Well, I mean, by the time this episode airs, if everything goes correctly and the COVID gods smile upon me, I shall be in Maui having Hey-o. a great time. So obviously very, very, very much looking forward to that. Um, but I guess a couple of good other things that have happened to me this week. Um, I went uh, thrifting for the first time in a long time. Um, it's something yeah. I used to do all the time when I lived in Newport News because we had such good thrift stores around there. Um, but I live in a very, very small town. We have one thrift store. It is not good. Um, and so I don't usually get to go thrifting and I actually found some fun like tropical-esque pieces that I'm like really excited to work into my wardrobe so it just kind of made me feel like a real person who lives in a society again if that makes sense because sometimes oh I love that yeah sometimes I kind of feel like I'm out here on the edge of of the world um down here on the gulf coast so that was kind of nice um I feel that yeah. So yeah. yeah, very much looking forward to Maui. By the time this episode airs, I will be somewhere on the island with my husband, finally going on our honeymoon slash now it's our second anniversary pretty much, <laughs> but we're going. Oh, yeah. So yes. 
So good things. I love that. I'm so excited for you guys. I know. You have a great time. Yeah. And take all the pictures. Hopefully won't have any survival. And don't come back with a survival story. Mm -hmm. Yes. Unless it's like funny (laughs) and lighthearted and not that big of a deal, but like I I could deal with that, but not a serious one. Thank you. Um, Yes. So I need you alive. Um, so, so if our listeners, um, want to send us a survival story of their own or their friends or family's survival stories, or if they just want to check out the podcast, where can they find us? So you can find us on Instagram at mother nature will kill you podcast. You can find us on Twitter at M N W K Y. And then you can also go online to our website at mother nature will kill you podcast.com. And you can slide into our DMS, send us a message on our website, do whatever you need to do to share with us your own personal survival story. And we will tell it on our little podcast we got here. Yeah. Tell us the weird shit that's happened to you. Um, and if you do end up sending a story and you don't want us to use your name, um, let us know and we will uh, make sure your privacy is taken care of because that's super important. And if you just want to listen to the podcast, we are on Spotify. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Google Podcasts. And we obviously our website, you can also um, listen to the podcast on. So lots of places to listen um hopefully we are slowly but surely getting better at all of this nonsense it is definitely a little bit of a fish out of water when it comes to the uh technical side (laughs) for sure but yeah yeah we're we're working on it um so i guess this is uh the time to end our little horrible show um so Stay safe, but most of all, stay curious, explorers. See you later. (laughs) Get the heck out of here, you goofball.